Welcome to the Wise Girl podcast, where we discover more about the artists at Sarah Wiseman Gallery. I'm the gallery director, Sarah Wiseman, and I like to explore how our artists create solo exhibitions and delve into their backgrounds to learn more about their inspiration and career paths. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by artist Flora McLaughlin to talk about her new solo exhibition, The Wood Between the Worlds. Flora is best known for her printmaking, which is inspired by her observation of landscape. She reads the forest and the hills that surround her as a familiar and beloved place, but also an ancient and unchanged world. Her work is distinctive by its dark, smudgy textures, illuminated by a floating moon or a glimpse of a unicorn. In her solo exhibition, visitors can expect to see a new body of work. Flora explores the forest metaphor more deeply, wandering it into an unknown, where we encounter her visions of fairy tale characters. The exhibition marks a pivotal moment in her career. Flora, already established as a printmaker, primarily in etching, brings to us an exploration in medium as well. And we will see her prints joined by paintings, sketches, and for the first time, large-scale lithographs. Flora studied English literature at Brasenose College, Oxford, before completing a diploma in illustration at West Hearts College, where she made her first etchings. Flora became a member of Oxford Printmakers Cooperative, where she continued to develop her work exhibiting nationally. She was elected an associate member of the Royal Society of Painter Printmakers in 2008, becoming a fellow in 2013. She has recently moved to remote Pembrokeshire, where she set up her own studio and is currently studying for her MA in Fine Arts at Aberystwyth University. Flora, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. For those listeners um, who might not be that familiar with your work and have just come across the podcast, how would you describe it to us? Well, I suppose I would say when I make work, I'm really interested in the sense of um, evocation of atmosphere and also a kind of immersion in what you're looking at. So when I make work, I do what I can to make that happen. I suppose it's about magical travelling, mm-hmm. like a journey on a magic carpet or a, a view through a window or opening the box of delights. Any kind of unexpected vision is what I'm into making happen, whether that's with etching or painting. So do you have a really planned idea of what something's going to look like when you start an artwork? No, it's more a sense of the feeling of it and maybe the memories I'm fusing together um, and then I might start with a very, very simple sketch of a few lines just to get the position of things. And then it's just down to what happens in the workshop. So I like it to grow naturally. I don't like to make a really detailed study and try and reproduce it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's a real narrative in your work. It's very strong. Does that relate to your time studying English literature at Brasenose? Did you focus perhaps on a particular period? I did. At Oxford, I was particularly interested in medieval literature, um, romances, because they contained this very romantic idea of the forest being a kind of symbol of wildness and chaos and transformation. So something like Gawain and the Green Knight, it's entering the wilderness is a magical and spiritual journey, you know, through the looking glass or into the wardrobe. So it's that aspect of conscious transportation, I think, that interested me back then. It's a kind of designed ritual entry into the land of story when Mm -hmm. you enter the forest. You know something's going to happen. 
that's going to change everything. So the forest becomes like a, a gateway. Yes, yes, exactly. A portal. Yes, just a different world, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. where things are kind of turned on their heads or made a bit crazy. Yeah. And from there, you went on to study illustration and discovered etching. What led you to take that step after your literature degree? Well, I genuinely didn't know what to do after I left Oxford. I knew I didn't want to do an MA. I was always torn between English and art, so I decided to try the other path. I saw an affordable BTEC course um, advertised in Artist's Newsletter, and I just went to Watford and, and did that. And um, it was there that I tried etching, and I loved the magical moment of peeling back the paper to reveal the print, and the wonderful atmosphere of the plate tone that gives the etching the look of a window into another world. Mm-hmm. So, because you said there were two paths there, so art's mm. always been an important part of your life. Tell us about your kind of your first memorable experiences of it. Well, my mother was a painter, and my parents' house was full of art that they had collected, and so it was just always around me as a thing. Looking back, what I most remember, you know, as a child, the experience of making art and just the, the, the immersion, you feel yourself just sunken out of time, you become part of a kind of different layer or a weave of ancient time in the act of making. So that's what I remember, is just be, being given the space to, and the materials, to do it yep. a lot. <laughs> That's incredible because that's, you know, it's sort of a a natural progression then. So it's just something, you know, you've always done, you've always had around you and it feels like a very intuitive language by the sounds of things. Yes, it's always, always been something I've done naturally. Yes. Yeah. And so is my whole family. Yeah. So there wasn't a particular moment that perhaps sparked it off. I think it's probably always watching my mother and how she responded to seeing a landscape. She would always grab out her sketchbook and sit down and um, sketch it quickly. And obviously we'd complain, oh, try and drag her onwards. But now, of course, it's me that does that. (laughs) (laughs) I have to be dragged off. (laughs) So you understand understand that frustration. Yes, I understand what she was battling against now. (laughs) Yeah. But you can also see what she was seeing. Yes, yes. Although I do work in a very different way from her because she was very much about... um, painting what was there yeah so she would do beautiful landscapes of the Sussex Downs and prints as well Um, but whereas mine is more about brewing a kind of um, composite experience or Mm. image from things I've many things observed as I've gone through life yeah yeah because I'm curious about that process that you have you you kind of weave a story with the image and you sometimes I, I always feel that you you're, you're kind of drawing it out of the landscape. It's like it's that you look at the landscape and you see it all hidden underneath the surface. It's almost like you're like a, a storytelling architect. Somehow you pull it out. Or do you feel it like you're imposing it on? Which, or is it a bit of both? <laughs> I think it's more in line with that. I think there's a branch of archaeology where you, you go to a place and you feel the atmosphere of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and try and imagine what people from ancient times may have felt when they were in that landscape. And I think it's rather a creative branch of archaeology, but it's about the spirit of place, I suppose, which is obviously a, a wonderful landscape tradition as well. So I think it's more about feeling the feelings that are connected with that landscape. Um, maybe they remind me of a story, a fairy tale, 
the symbolism of it, the, the trees, the walls, the fields, everything joins together and things, you know, things spark it off, that deep response to a landscape. And sometimes I might try and trace it back and think, why am I so drawn to this particular landscape? But it will, I will always draw it as a memory. Mm -hmm. I will do sketches um, whenever I'm out in the landscape, but I won't really use them. Yeah, yeah. And I know from your daily life, you're really connected with the landscape and you, you live in a, a fairly remote place in, in Wales. And, um, and I, and I love, love it when you talk about, you know, when we chat and you talk about wild swimming and going on moonwalks. And, and clearly it's very important to, to your whole way of looking at the world, really, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yes, I feel very lucky to be living there um, on the edge of a really wild, empty moor and near ancient oak woods. I love it because it's possible to imagine you're walking in a kind of archetypal landscape, a symbolic one, a, um, from the dawn of time or from a fairy tale. The wild swimming, I think, is definitely about immersion in the landscape, literally. <laughs> Yeah, it's a literal immersion in place um, and in the self. To swim in cold water really surrounds you with elemental reality, mm -hmm. like nothing else. Yeah. So I, I wasn't a very brave swimmer before I moved to Wales. I really don't like to put my feet down in deep water and find nothing there. Or okay. Yeah. The brush of something unknown underwater. <laughs> so it's been wonderful to um, sort of banish that fear and and be able to do that. What made you? take that step? Me and a group of friends, we just decided to see what happened if we kept going swimming from the summer through into the autumn and the winter. And so we just kept going every week. And we just, someone just proposes a swim through, through WhatsApp. And if we, if we can go, we go just like that. And without thinking, just stride into the waves. Wow. I think it's the strengthening presence of other people as well. Yeah, so you'll feel bonded. Yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah. If there's three of you walking into waves at the same time, you are pulled forward by them, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the moonwalking is a, more of an art project, I think. It's an ongoing collaborative thing. There we are four women artists and we walk every full moon. So we're walking simultaneously, but um, apart as we all live in different parts of the UK. Mm -hmm. um, so we share our thoughts through WhatsApp and we have Zoom meetings about what we're thinking when we're walking, show each other what work we've made, if we've done sketches or made sound recordings. So we're all making work springing from this experience. This isn't something I would have done naturally to walk out at dusk on the moor but you do you get used to walking in the reduced light and I haven't had to turn my torch on at all I can just see from the diffused light in the sky and it's astonishing how you start really listening to all the sounds of the night and you can hear all the each stream has a different sound yeah in the silence your senses have become just naturally really heightened yes yes because you can't see much you start to yeah, sense what else, what other inf information is out there. Gosh, that's incredible. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I do have a lot of um, sound recordings of streams. and <laughs> Maybe a project will come into view in the future to, yeah. to use these. And it's also made me think a lot about um, the role of ritual actions 
in art and life because it's really enriching to do that kind of thing mm. to have this regular ritual walk where we will always do it you will have this heightened consciousness that you're looking for deeper thoughts I suppose yeah so you're not necessarily going out looking for a picture or to no. create a work of art you're looking just to immerse yourself in being there yes that's right and then that informs yeah. work in the future perhaps yes and perhaps yes. perhaps not yes that's right and you're setting out on the walk with the intention of being alive to what's there and I think the intention really makes a difference for example I made the uh, the bed on the moor for dreaming in which is mm. an empty bed frame just set on the edge of the moor and what it what it acts like is a line drawn round the thought of meditation and it does make a difference to go there with the intention of dreaming yeah because it's there you can just go there and do you, do you, do you go into the space yes and i rest. go into the space it's got some lovely tussocks of heather <laughs> <laughs> which is mostly above the the water line because it is in a very wet field okay yes <laughs> sometimes i'll take a plastic bag to sit on <laughs> And if the creeping wetness doesn't get you, yes, you just lie in that oblong space yeah. as if in a bed, although there's no mattress there or bed springs. You're just lying on the ground, but you're... In a frame. Out, yes, you're outlined by this frame of, of being allowed to rest. So you become like a drawing in nature. Yes, yes, I think you do. It's, just, it's really just a frame, so it is just a drawing of a bed, essentially. Yeah. And there you are lying in it, and you're given permission, I think, to start having interesting thoughts. Yeah, and, and for those listening and thinking, what on earth are they talking about? <laughs> in the front of the catalogue for the exhibition, there is a photograph of the bed for dreaming in. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> in, its, in its beautiful field. <laughs> and that brings us nicely on to the exhibition, um, The Wood Between the Worlds. Um, I mean, honestly, just there's such tremendous growth in, in your practice. Um, through um, through this collection of work, and it's very exciting. Um, and is, do you think that's down to your MA, or um, has that helped your experience? It sounds like you're you're constantly pushing yourself. But did the did the MA give you this framework to to push further? Yes, it really did. And when you when I started, the first term is taken up with experimentation. So you really encouraged to try everything, anything new that you can think of. And so I just dropped all my usual old ways of working, which was such a freeing thing to do. And I started experimenting with big aluminium plates for etching instead of copper, which is really exact. The aluminium bites really roughly and freely. So that was completely different. Using different grounds, Andrew Baldwin works there and he um, he's invented a new ink ground. So I started using that and exploring what it could do. And I started experimenting with soap wash lithography, which is again, a really quick and instinctive way of making images. I just, I was unfamiliar with all of those techniques. So I just had to work differently. Um, so obviously a lot of this work, I wasn't, wasn't that happy with it, but I think the freedom to fail was really important. And that was the great gift from the MA. Because mm -hmm. I think when you've 
had a career in art for years, as I have, and so I sell art for my art for a living. It's really difficult to shed that attitude that everything must work yes. that you make and everything must be desirable. Yeah. I've had that conversation with so many artists. Yes, it's know. so interesting. You think it doesn't affect you, but I, it, it does. does. Yeah. yeah, having that space to play, yes, to reinvent yourself, to fail, um, is is very important to, to to give because, you know, otherwise you can never grow as an artist. Yes, absolutely. And you know this, but somehow it's very difficult to break out of the time and the cycle of, mm. of the career. So there never seems a good time yeah. to, <laughs> to do some experimenting because it seems, seems like it might be wasted time. But it completely isn't because I made some lots of terrible work but out of that kind of feeling of despair and all this mass of raw material heaps of etchings um, out of all that came the seed of my new series which is at the core of this exhibition yeah so um, yeah I knew I had to let go of that results thing to get somewhere new and that's what the MA gave me the permission to do that I think it's also um help changed your attitude towards colour because mm. you, you've always had a sort of soft mystical use of colour and um, it's really dreamy and I think um, mostly previously you've been really well known for your quite stark black and white work mm, yes um, and the, the colour that was there before was like it was like the, the landscape had been lit by moonlight like yeah. really soft washes of blues really mystical very very beautiful but you know there's some real explosions of color in this in yes. this exhibition and <laughs> let's talk about that because that's exciting <laughs> <laughs> yes well i've been i started oil painting um during the ma as well i joined the second year classes and it was just such a change it was incredible i could squeeze out these amazing bright oil paint colours onto the palette and it was such a contrast to the really thick dark inks I've been using although you know I love them and I adore the kind of the building up of blacks and delicate moonlit colours um, it was just such a wonderful change I started looking at the work of Ken Kiff and Cecil Collins and just seeing colour as a kind of emotional music that I could use mm -hmm. Um, so I just began from there and I also of course I love to follow the colours I see outside um, tree bark colours, greys, dusky blue sky, sunset light and there's wonderful lichens all sulphur and mint and orange so there's a lot around yes. that's bright that's bright just very very small <laughs> <laughs> so I've just magnified them <laughs> yeah and there's um and also um to those who who've really familiar with your etchings, they they in the past they've been very small, they've been very mm. detailed, they've been so gloriously precise. Um, but there's also scale, you yeah. know, the, and there's such. Well, I see a, a, like a fluidity and a and a release mm. in the work. It's like you've you've escaped. Flora, <laughs> <laughs> Flora's <laughs> escaped somehow. Um, and what's it been like for you discovering these new new ways of working? Well, it has been wonderful. I, I feel, yes, totally unbridled, like a lid's been taken off. Mm. <laughs> uh, it's during, after lockdown, um, I did three online courses in painting and drawing. Um, the painting one was led by the artist Dan Coombs. So we had four intensive days of work to make a big painting about the interaction of five random figures. 
So um, he demanded we we should work on a large scale. So I just did. I didn't have to make the decision. I was just told to, and that's what it took. A bit sad, <laughs> but there we go. <laughs> Sometimes we need that push, don't we? Yes, I think you do. Yes, I did need a push. Uh, yeah. So I made wilderness and spirit travels um, my two largest paintings in the exhibition. Mm-hmm. Um, I made them really instinctively without overthinking them, just because it was within the framework of this course. And so I could immediately then go back to Aberystwyth and ask to work on these massive lithostones they've got there without any fear, which was just so new for me mm. to be able to work on this massive scale really instinctively with, with the uh, materials. Yeah. So, yes, it was, it was wonderful. I was just determined not to, not to be left alone during lockdown. Yeah, I really wanted to keep pushing forwards because mm-hmm. obviously I couldn't go into Aberystwyth anymore because yeah. everything was shut down. So I was like, well, I'll, I've got to do something. So I signed up for all these things and discovered many new ways of working with charcoal and with oil pastel and with paint. So yeah, it was fantastic. Again, it was like you gave, you used this period to give yourself even more space. Yeah, yes. Well, once yeah. you're in an intensive MA course, you just don't want to stop. I couldn't bear the thought of it being paused, and that made me even more determined yeah. to keep pushing To things. keep going. Yes. And I love how um, there's a real alchemy in the language between all your mediums. Um, and they, they really, when you're with the work, they really flow into each other. And you can see that there's um, an incredible space for creative discovery. Mm. Um, but there's a, there's a wonderful connective language between the painting and the lithographs and um and also the the etchings and then the etchings which you've you've hand you've worked in on top of with yes. different colors yeah um there's this uh, there's a rhythm through them that's uh, this new yeah. line that's come out yes um, actually what really inspired me was seeing the kiki smith exhibition at um moma in oxford mm. Um, that was so inspiring, seeing how she flips her ideas between sculpture and tapestry, and she's made the tapestry out of um, lithographed and screen-printed and etched fragments and blown them up. And just to see the ideas going between all the mediums um, was really, really inspiring. I took yeah. about a thousand photographs in that exhibition. <laughs> it was a glorious <laughs> yes, exhibition. Yes, I spent yeah. the whole day there drawing. It was just wonderful. So that was really inspiring. And that made me see, I think, that I could take these ideas and just run with them through, yeah, through every medium. Yeah, you didn't have to be restricted in in any way. Mm. We've talked a lot, like building into it really, about the the physical act of creating, because I know that's a really important part of this, Mm. you know, this body of work. But let's, let's, let's get really into the ideas like behind it you know where we're where we're going on this because your work is is rooted in like these long-held traditions and relationships Mm. with the landscape but we're really on a on a journey when we're looking at this connection of work so perhaps maybe we can start with the title because it's really enigmatic where where did it come from well it's from the magician's nephew by c.s lewis which is the first of his books about narnia um, it's in the story, it's a mossy wood filled with pools, which um, if you jump into them, each leads into a different world. So it's mm. a kind of in-between place, a sort of nexus where many different worlds and times meet. And for me, it's a metaphor for the creative consciousness. It's a kind of picture of my mind, I guess, a place where you can go anywhere from. 
Um, and also, obviously, the forest still carries for me that sense of quest and journey into a, a wild and ancient land. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's a really evocative image for me. Yeah. I'm really struck by this uh, strong sense of the feminine that comes through um, all of the work, actually, and this uh, this goddess. She's um, she's quite heroic, exploring the land, and I find her quite fascinating. She's doing lots of different tasks. Who is she? What what, what is she? <laughs> I think she is a kind of avatar of me, I guess. Mm -hmm. So it's about the resonance of fairy tales and myths in our everyday lives, I think. It's tied up with that idea of significance in a landscape. It's also, it's about literary images and how they live on in your memory and how they give significance to everything that happens and everything you see, mm -hmm. I think. So all these heroines of the forest it's a kind of alternative view where the female i think is perhaps more aligned with the magical animals and the queer beasts that kind of ferment and boil in that forest mm -hmm. um, because i always think well it's it's in a woman's lap that the unicorn lays its head so this is more like here's a woman down in the brambles listening to the sound of the river it's always the knight who goes in. Yeah, it's, it's always the knight who goes in there. He conquers the forest, yes, doesn't he? Yes, with the sword, exactly. Yeah. So here's, this is a woman with maybe not a sword, but a machete and an ability to weave things together. So I'm thinking of more feminine forest explorers. Um, so she's more harmonious. Yes, she she's living harmonious. with the nature. Yes, that's right. She notices, noticing things, living with the nature, dancing with it. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a, a model of participation rather than conquering. So in the painting, The Forest Transformation, it's, mm. it's quite a split painting in a way because we've yes. got the, the couple on the left-hand side in, in quite a domestic setting. Mm. And then the single figure with the wheat on the right-hand side. What, what's the relationship uh, between this, uh, this group of figures in this work? Well, the story behind it is Rumpelstiltskin, where you have the daughter who weaves really well and the father boasts that she can spin straw into gold and she's um, taken away and put in the room with all the straw and because she can't do it and she cries. But I'm looking at the story from a different angle and thinking, there is on the left is the sheltered home scene mm -hmm. and then there's the passing through the, the forest the passing through the portal of the forest and there she is on her own on the right holding this raw material and she has the potential to become herself and to become a creator so really it's about escaping that home scene that so it's of, escaping domesticity yes yes it's, it's yeah. growing into yourself i yeah. think and it's especially linked to being an artist because there is so i've made the painting of the corn really thick mm -hmm. and squidgy with paint so it's kind of she's almost holding a sheaf of paint so that's where it becomes connected with my my life yeah yeah Gosh, it's really it's it's a completely different reading once you <laughs> once you have that that understanding. It's about that tussle between what mm. on the one hand we're expected to be in life yes. and what society perhaps expects of all of us. Mm. And then how we have that sense of needing to be our true selves and how we all have that 
perhaps that yearning to to always be a little bit more true to ourselves and it's that that balance we all walk yes exactly and, and the same pattern goes through the painting um the goose girl which i've done where you can just see her feet in yes. the grass yes. and again i'm looking you know obviously she's been um deposed from her horse and um, usurped her position has been usurped by her serving maid but I'm just thinking whether maybe she felt more herself up on the meadows with the geese in the sunshine and the wind with her feet in the clover and maybe it's a relief yes yeah. a relief to escape from that narrative where she had to go and meet a prince she had never met before and marry him yeah which is quite a strange concept well, <laughs> terrifying <laughs> terrifying isn't it <laughs> and um, I love the nettles by moonlight. I love um, the the strong orange figure. Mm. I, I I love the fact that she she's bathed in this. It's not a it's not just a warm glow. It's like a rich orange glow, and she's gathering these nettles. And then there's this there's this figure like walking mm. away. It's kind of not really male or female but it's it's crouching it's it's mm. something's leaving this yes. space yes yes this one is um linked to the story of the 12 swans is it 12 swans or 11 or is it 13 anyway i think it's 12 they are enchanted by an evil fairy and their sister has to weave them um 12 shirts out of nettle flax oh. yeah. to free them from the spell mm-hmm. but also this is about the traditional women's knowledge of herbs and the, the uh, occupation of gathering um, from the wild. So her orangeness is a kind of expression of a connection with the earth. Mm-hmm. And um, then there's a kind of defeated blue of the old, the old um, lady creeping into the doorway, which is the disapproving mother-in-law. I think she tried to convince. Um, the king that his bride was a witch because she kept going out and gathering nettles and she couldn't speak of course to explain herself that's part of the spell yeah yeah so there she is slinking away with her information gosh but yeah there's she stands strong in the middle all, yeah all orange and clutching her nettles and she knows what to do with them yeah so, yeah and then there's this slightly um in uh, paintings like the like wilderness um there's this slightly kind of I don't know, he's a trampled man. Um, he, he's he got the face of a green man, you know, like we would see perhaps in carvings on um, yes. on churches and the like. But he's pushed into the ground almost, isn't he? Yes, I saw him as a kind of green man figure, a figure of wildness. Um, above him, there's a looming sort of, there's a golden corn goddess figure and she's rather, tra- she's trampling him into the mud. I guess I'm always not quite sure if um, cultivation was a, a good thing because it's led us into such trouble. So I'm thinking of climate change and intensive farming uh, as I <laughs> look at his trampled body. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, this is all very confused. And uh, so he's mixed up with all sorts of other strange spirits and beings. I guess I wanted to just paint a, uh, my impression of the world having so many aspects all turning and in ferment mm. and um, full of magic yes and not one thing ever being completely straightforward that's right that's why yes everything's circling around yeah things are upper and then they become underneath and yes it's always moving and always festival like yes so i just hope whatever happens it keeps going keeps spinning yeah and um some of the titles for the artworks are they're incredibly powerful in themselves, um, and especially in some of the 
the printmaking. So we've got things like um, the Witch's Hut, the Perilous mm. Chapel, the Bone Gates. Can we, we, we've got here just the, be, beside us, we've got the Bone Gate. Can you tell us some more about some of the meanings um, mm. behind the titles? So I was starting the Bone Gate thinking about the story of Baba Yaga. So that's, I think, another tale linked to the idea of initiation, of passing through a portal, which is terrifying, but also transforms everything. So the, the heroine is sent off into the forest to find Baba Yaga. And of course, it's a terrifying adventure. And she has to pass through the fence outside the hut, which is made of human bones in the stories. But also, I think, um, you could say when we're born, we pass through a gate made of bone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it contains a lot of very rich symbolism about, mm-hmm. again, about adventuring into the world, finding your power, I suppose, as a person who, a person who creates and a person who is strong. That's how I've tried to convey it, that there's a lot of, history within this forest a lot of swarming sprites and trees with hands yeah and the the tree trunks have chicken feet yes i could see yes clutching the ground so the whole thing is alive and always going on Mm. and everything's on the move and then you have the heroine with her her bundle of birch twigs yeah so it's it's yeah about making your way in the world and facing facing whatever is in the hut mm, I know because the hut glows in in the in the distance yes I was thinking of that Corne- beautiful Cornelia Parker work cold dark matter oh yes I love that <laughs> the shed exploded yeah. shed and the light bulb within so it's I think facing Baba Yaga is like coming face to face with matter chaos a sort of un- uncaring the facts of things yeah you know, how things are however they may be and so it is like just staring into the heart of of nothingness or everything. Yeah. Yeah. So it could be absolutely terrifying, but it will certainly change you. <laughs> <laughs> and what about the, the witch's hut? Is that is that a sort of a similar yes. a similar metaphor? That's, yes, that's right. So I have made the inside of the hut again glowing with light and it's um got thorns or teeth around the opening and I suppose it's, yeah, it's a kind of doorway of potential, but also yeah. destructive and creative at the same time. Mm. Sort of, um, I think we've given everyone like a, a really rich flavour and you've talked about many artists um, as we've gone through mm. um, the, the chat. Was there a particular artist or particular period in art history that you think that you... Um, really refer to or is it just like this because you your, your references have been incredible they've been really wide ranging yeah well again all thanks to um doing the ma and being just getting a grounding on how to how to link artists together and how to see them in in the in the flow of art history it's been fascinating so actually the whole series started with looking at the etchings of joseph webb um, who was 1920s, mm-hmm. I think, um, quite mystical. But he's made this wonderful image called the Shepherd's Haven, which has a chapel. I think it's actually supposed to be a shepherd's hut, but it looks it's shaped more like a chapel, and inside it's held up with massive pillars, which are just huge tree trunks. 
So it looks like the trees are growing up inside the chapel and the roof is very bulgy. So the whole chapel series, um, the Perilous Chapel, yeah. all this with um, trees growing up through, um, or the idea of a forest inside a building, which I suppose is another metaphor for the self, are sort of sprang out of that image. And yes, as I say, I was also looking at Cecil Collins a lot for his amazing creation of an imaginary world, just full of personal symbols. Yeah. He developed his own narrative and symbolism, which is really powerful. Um, and who else? Christopher Libren. I was looking at his 50 Etching series, which is a wonderful working through of metamorphosing symbols digested by the etching process. Yeah. So they kept scraping and burnishing and biting again and cutting the plates and then working on them again. It's really fascinating to see. So that definitely as well. Yeah, yeah. And if, you know, for um, people who experience this, this body of work, now, um, obviously, um, we're at this very peculiar point in time where yeah. we've got these incredible paintings to, to share, but for, for the majority of people there, they're going to experience them online to start off yeah, with. Yeah. Is there something you would want them to, you know, to, to take away from the experience of, of looking at them? Well, I've just been looking at the catalogue you've made for the exhibition. And what I find really interesting about that is it's actually in book form. So you can turn the pages and there's a very interesting progression through the work, which... I think it's very interesting to be led through it because, of course, when you see it in the gallery, you make your own way through the works, don't yes, you? You, you do, see yes. them and you yeah. maybe wander back and forth between them. You make your own connections. And this is slightly more guided, which is I think is very interesting. So um, I, I really liked seeing them like that. So I hope everyone enjoys that because I think it makes a difference. It helps them. It sort of takes them through. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Absolutely. Because obviously I've been working on quite a concentrated set of ideas, but as they are all springing out of narratives and are about the idea of how you find a narrative in your life, a metaphorical one and a, a real one, and how they might interweave among among themselves. I think it's very interesting to see the work suddenly as a narrative again. Yeah. Itself. Yeah. And placed back in a in a in a structure somehow. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because the structure of making might not be the same as the structure of of how it's most easily read. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you, Flora. It's thank been fascinating. You. I've I've learned a lot, and I thought actually putting the catalogue together and working with you on the exhibition, I had uh, a fairly good sense. But you know, yeah, just being with yeah. you today, I've the the work is you know coming alive and more and more, which is which is wonderful. It's what these right. podcasts yeah. are, are supposed to be about. And um, so, thank you to all uh, our listeners of the podcast. Um, and uh, for those who um, who want to, you, you can learn more about Flora's work on the gallery website, which is wisegirl.com. And you can see images of everything talked about um, in this episode. And there'll also be a link to, to the full catalogue. Um, the Wood Between the Worlds is on at the gallery, um, Sarah Wiseman Gallery, the 23rd of January to the 20th of 
February. Now, obviously, we have to start online because this is a lockdown <laughs> period. Um, but we have these incredible picture windows, and we will try to give the people who are on their daily exercise a, a street view of their Flora's exhibition throughout the month. So it will change every week and there will be different artworks for you to, to come and enjoy if you're, if you're local to us. We need to thank Bespoken Media for sound editing um, this episode and uh, as ever, if you've enjoyed listening, we'd be very grateful if you could take a moment to rate the podcast and also leave a comment as it helps others to discover it and maybe come on a journey with Flora. So uh, thank you very much. Thank you.